Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. Good morning. Welcome to church. It's full. I like it. I don't know about you guys, but the last few weeks have felt like it takes forever to get to Sunday. Like, the weeks have been full and good, but they've been long. And obviously, we experience the presence of Jesus outside of Sunday morning. But there is something so special about this body of believers and what God is doing in his church right now that I can't wait for Sunday mornings. And so I'm happy you're here with us this morning because it's going to be a good morning with Jesus. Um, If you're new here, my name is Katie Zimbersky, or if you've been here a while and I haven't preached Um, My name is Katie Zimbersky, and I'm part of the teaching team here at Church 214. So we don't have a set pastor that preaches every Sunday. Chris, I think you've done the longest run of messages, right? Yeah. And that probably was hard. I can't imagine preaching every Sunday. Um, But we have a teaching team, and so it's 15-ish people, right, Hev? Um, 15 of us who um, have been called by God to teach and preach in this church. Um, So you will never see, it will be unusual if you see the same person up here Sunday after Sunday. Um, But it is one of my favorite things in the world to be on this team. It is an honor. Um, I'm so thankful for it. And the team, I was telling Heidi this this week, there are a lot of good podcasts that you can listen to and different preachers from different churches. But the people on our team are my very favorite preachers to listen to. Um, And to be under the teaching of my friends is such a blessing. Um, And it's really, I think it's a humbling experience to be able to um, be on a team of people. And they sit under your teaching when you preach during your week, but then the next week you sit under theirs. And I think it's something so special and so unique. And the way that the Lord has crafted it is, um, is so special to our church. And so... Yeah, you will see different people up here, and you will get different perspectives of God's word, and it is the coolest thing ever. So I'm going to pray. Jesus, we thank you that your presence is here with us this morning, um, that that you go before us and behind us and that you are all around us, that we can't escape from your presence no matter how hard we try. You are always surrounding us, that you are always chasing after us, running after us, just like we sang. Um, Lord, and I just pray that this morning our hearts would be softened and opened to what you have for each and every one of us, Um, that we wouldn't grow hard and cold to the refining that you are doing in each of us, that we would be, that we would be ready for where the preparation and the calling that you are placing on us to bring more of your kingdom to earth. We love you, Lord, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. This is week four of 22 weeks of Revelation. So if you're counting down until we get through, you're slowly getting there. We're we're a month in. But um, if I'm being honest, when we, when it was sent out that we, this is what we were going to be doing, we were going to be teaching in Revelation, I went into the teaching team meeting, um, defeated's not the right word, I just wasn't expecting 
to preach in this series at all. So I was like, okay, Jesus, like if I don't preach for the next 22 weeks, that's totally fine. And then, but not really, because I wanted to. (laughs) But then Phil said something, and there was a shift in my spirit. And then I got excited, and I was ready. And he encouraged all of us, and I think it's not only for the people teaching, but it's for each and every one of us, that we have everything that we need to understand this book, to... um, to know Jesus more. We have everything we need. And it's not just like he was throwing Psalm 23 out there. He was encouraging people on the team that they have everything you need. And so you don't have to be scared to preach in this series. And this has been the hardest like message prep ever, but there's an intimacy that comes from understanding Revelation. And so I think the unveiling of Jesus in this book is him wanting us to experience him more. And so I hope by week four, if you haven't listened to the past weeks, go and listen because um, Chris and Phil did an awesome job introducing this series and setting us up for success and um, stomping out fear and lies that have come against um, what Jesus wants his people to know in this book. And then uh, Jason had a fire message last week, so go and listen. But It's all about intimacy. This is all about Jesus. And so I'm so thankful that in this time and place, he doesn't want us to be afraid. He wants to rid us of all fear because he is coming back for a bride that is ready for him, that is desiring him. And we're only going to get that if we have an intimate relationship with him. And I believe that the book of Revelation is helping us grow in intimacy and pull back the layers and know Jesus in the most intimate way possible until we can get to heaven. So the second letter is to the church of Smyrna. We're in chapter 2 of Revelation, verse 8. Write to the angel of the church in Smyrna. Thus says the first and the last, the one who is dead and came to life. I know your affliction and poverty, but you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but you are, but are a synagogue of Satan. Don't be afraid of, about, of what you are about to suffer. Look, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison to test you, and you will experience affliction for 10 days. Be faithful to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will never be harmed by the second death. I believe it was said in weeks past um, that it was, wasn't written to us but for us. And so it's important to understand a little bit of the, about the church of Smyrna and who John was writing to. So a quick um, few facts about them. They are the first city in Asia, in, in Asia in size and beauty, and they prided themselves on that. They were nicknamed the Crown of Asia. They were destroyed in 580 BC and they rebuilt in 290 BC, and they were very proud of their resurrection, that they were able to um, be just that they were able to rebuild and be this flourishing city. They were extremely loyal to Rome and the emperor, and there was lots and lots of idol worship. It still exists now in Turkey, and it is one of the only letters that was written, one of the seven letters that was written without correction. 
So most of five of the seven letters have some sort of correction. Like if you don't do this, then this is going to happen. And that didn't happen to the Church of Smyrna. And I was praying about it this week. And I was like, Lord, why? Like, why is that? I'm sure like they were obviously broken humans. There was probably some correction that was needed there. We all need correction. Um, but he talks about the pressure that they're under. And that's what we're going to talk about today is the pressure that the church was under and the pressure that we're under. And correction is needed. But I think if correction would have happened with this intense pressure that they were feeling, a lot of people would have probably gave up and walked away. Because if you are feeling like this, there's a difference between like feeling condemned and feeling guilt and for like, or condemned and conviction, not guilt. There's a difference there. And we can feel conviction for our sins. But I think if Jesus would have been like, I'm going to destroy, I'm going to destroy you if you don't do this. Like this is going to happen to you if you don't change things. The pressure that they were under and the persecution that they were facing, people probably would have walked away. And then the gospel in that church wouldn't have advanced like we know it to today. And so we're going to break it down verse by verse today. And I'm going to, um, it's going to be related to the church of Smyrna in their time, but also what, what Jesus has for us today in it. So verse 8 says, write to the angel of the church in Smyrna. Thus says the first and the last, the one who is dead and came to life. So like I said earlier, they, um, they were destroyed. They rebuilt. Very, very proud of their resurrection. But what really got me here is how significant um, Jesus is with each church, how intentional he is with each church. So each um, letter... Jesus uh, introduces himself in a different way. And he's not just like slapping a description of himself on there like, oh, this one sounds good. I'll go with that one at the beginning of each letter. He's intentional about the way he's addressing the church because it means something to them. It means something for what they're facing. And so the city of Smyrna, it prided itself on being first. Like I said earlier, um, they even had it stamped on their money. And the phrase was... um, First city in Asia in size and beauty. So it was important to them to be first. Um, and the, they were so proud of what they had accomplished. And so Jesus made it personal to them and said, I am the first. Not Caesar, not Rome. It's me. I'm the first. I'm the last. I hold the victory. I have the final word. I conquered death and I rose again. I am the ultimate resurrection. And so that meant something to them. And the church of believers in the church of Smyrna, um, it probably meant something to them because when you're surrounded by people, like imagine living in a city that was so prideful on everything that they accomplished, but you know who the first was. Like that that's encouragement to you. Be like, I am under this um, political authority in Rome and I'm facing all of these things, but Jesus is like, no, remember, Remember, I hold the victory. I am the first. I am the last. I am the one who, um, your life is not bound by Rome. Your life is bound by me. I am the first. I am the last. Verse 9. I know your affliction and poverty, but you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, 
for a synagogue of Satan. Jesus saying, I know, is so significant because it's not just the knowledge of what they were facing. It was a shared experience. And I reflected on that this week of just the kindness of Jesus to step off of his throne in heaven and come to earth as a human so that he would fully experience everything that we went through, everything we experience as humans, that he wouldn't just have knowledge of it, but it would be a shared experience. And how comforting is that? It makes it personal. And I think it's also important for us to be able to be vulnerable with community because there are people in this room that have shared experiences. And I said it to my mother-in-law this week. Um, She lost her little brother, and I lost my little brother a few years ago. And there's not a whole lot you can say to make the situation better. And I told her that. I'm just like, I know. I know the pain that you feel. And that's all, like, and I can just leave it at that because that's enough. And so when Jesus says, I know in this letter, he's making it personal. He says, I know the pain that you feel. I know what it's like to lose someone you love. I know what it's like to be tempted. I know what it's like to be slandered. I know what it's like to be hated. And he knows, yes, because he is God but it's because he was human, because he allowed, he stepped off of his throne and he wanted to have shared experiences with you so that he can be your comfort and he can be your peace. And that should be such a comfort to us that the God who created heaven and earth, he knows your pain, he knows your pressure because he experienced it too. And so in verse 9, he says, I know your affliction and poverty, but you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. The word affliction or tribulation um, is in other translations. The Greek word for it is philippusis. And I feel like I say that with a lisp. (laughs) Philippusis. But it's, it's a strong word. It's not just meaning like pressure, like pushing up against something. It's a strong word. It means crushing pressure. Pressure experienced as the kingdom of God comes up against the kingdom of earth. It's in rebellion against whatever, um, against the kingdom of darkness, where light clashes with the darkness. And this is just a breakdown of the world word to crush, press together, squash hem in, compress, squeeze in, um, to break. And John is writing this letter to the church of Smyrna, and he was literally crushing rocks for the rest of his life. And he had that shared experience too. Like he knew the pain and the pressure and the persecution that they were facing. And so I'm sure he didn't write this lightly. The Church of Smyrna was under intense persecution and pressure. Yes, it was a rich and successful city. It was prospering. And so no one in the city technically should have been poor. Um, 
but Christian businesses were failing. And so when Jesus is like, you are, I know your affliction and your poverty, but you are rich. And they were failing because of the people's loyalty to Rome and Caesar. Even Jewish people were ratting them out, like going behind their backs and persecuting Christians. And that's why where it says, who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan, because they were betraying God and falling under loyalty to Rome. And so Christians were facing persecution because their Jewish people were selling them out. Because the Jew, Rome gave Jews a pass. They didn't have to bow down to the statues of Caesar and the emperor. And so they were scared that if they were if they didn't sell out the Christian people, then they that they would be in trouble too. And so Christians were losing everything because they were being faithful to Jesus. And even if it meant they were financially poor, they were staying dedicated. The Church of Smyrna was staying dedicated to Jesus. And they didn't fit in the Jewish camp and they didn't fit in the Roman camp. But they were staying faithful to Jesus. And the disciples of the Church of Smyrna, they weren't Satan's real target. You are not his real target. I think we like to make it all about us and think like, oh, he's coming after me again. He's only after you because of Jesus. He's only after you because Jesus loves you so much. You are the thing that he loves most. And if you're faithfully walking with him and devoted to him and living a life that glorifies him, you are actively bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. And with your life, the enemy is going to do whatever it takes to make you give into the pressure and to conform to the patterns of this world. Because that's easier than, easier than a life devoted for, to Jesus. You're only worth something to the enemy because you are worth everything to Jesus. And if we doubt that for a second, the cross is our first reminder. He experienced brutal pressure, crushing pressure and excruciating, excruciating death just for you. Just for you. And sometimes we disgrace that because the pressure that we're under is too much, so we complain or we compromise. And it starts with little things at first, I think. I know. We compromise the small things at first, and then when you're faced with something big and it's choose Jesus or choose this, the other thing sounds really good because you've already made small compromises in your life. And it's way easier to choose that than choose Jesus because that's comfortable and following Jesus isn't. And the persecution and the pressure we face is a lot different than what the Church of Smyrna faced. Like, we're not actively being tortured to death for following Jesus. But there are different pressures that we face, and we are too afraid to stand up for Jesus and for truth. And so we compromise out of, for comfort reasons instead of standing on the truth of Jesus and being a conqueror.
the pressure we experience is so that we can bring more of the kingdom of heaven to earth. The pressure you experience is because light is coming up against darkness and we get to partner with him and make earth more like heaven right now. And when we compromise that, we're letting the enemy keep the ground that he thinks he has. Instead of standing in victory, you are called to stand in victory. You were made to stand in victory. And you either compromise or you're, you're either a compromiser or you're a conqueror. And so it starts by not letting yourself compromise the small things. Because when it's a big thing, it means way more. And I don't know, there are, this has been a thought in my mind for really since like COVID, <laughs> but there are brothers and sisters who have way more at risk for Jesus, to follow Jesus than we do. And the American church and the, the, probably the Western church, we're so comfortable with what we experience that we don't even know what it would be like to face the things that our brothers and sisters around the world face for Jesus. And so those small compromises might feel like big compromises to you, but what if you were faced with death for Jesus? What if you were faced with jail for Jesus? A lot of us would probably run the other way. Verse 10, don't be afraid for what you are about to suffer. Look, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison to test you, and you will experience affliction for 10 days. Be faithful to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. How do you think you would ex respond if Jesus told you, hey, you're going to experience suffering, torture, crushing pressure. Some of you are even going to go to jail because of me, but don't be afraid. When I was writing this out, I'm like, I would be terrified. And we know and we can read all throughout scripture. He tells us not to fear. He has overcome the world. He told us we're going to experience some really hard things in this life, but we don't have to fear, except our first response is fear. And he says, don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Look, I know what the enemy's going to do. I already know. Some of you are going to be tortured. And you will experience affliction for 10 days, but be faithful to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. He said, look at me. Don't be afraid. Fix your eyes on me. Don't be afraid. Keep your eyes on me. Don't be afraid. Because some bad stuff is going to happen. It's part of living in this fallen and broken world. Life can, like, suck sometimes. <laughs> and you're going to be tested, and you're going to want to give up, but stay faithful to me to the point of death because what I have waiting for you is so much better. Be faithful to me no matter what, even if it costs you your life because what I have for you is better than anything else. Heidi, I'm glad that you shared about joy. 
before my message started. Because we can experience crushing pressure, and we can also experience joy at the same time. And it's only because of Jesus. Happiness and joy are very different. Joy comes from a relationship with Jesus. And so the things that we can be uh, experience in this life, they can be painful and hard, but there's still joy and there's still hope because of the gospel. And I actually kind of struggled to, I was like, I know I'm supposed to share a personal story. I haven't had like the greatest life. And if I gave my testimony, we would be here for hours. And so I decided we're not going to do that. <laughs> I was like, Jesus, just what do you want me to share? And the revelation that he gave me over really Friday and Saturday, I was like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to share that. Pressure is different for each one of us. What we don't have to be like physically tortured for Jesus. But a couple years, three years ago now, um, I experienced an unexpected situation in my life. And it was this crushing pressure, like my world had stopped. My little brother had just passed. And I think I had, I know I had struggled with depression and anxiety my whole life, but I kind of let it take a back seat. I'm just like, oh, everybody feels this way. Like, this is normal. And it took him dying, my brother dying was like the straw that broke the camel's back. And I was like, I cannot do this. And it felt like torture. I don't know what it's like to be physically tortured, but I was mentally tortured for months. And for a while, I just kept it to myself. And then when the suicidal thoughts came in, I told my husband. And it felt like this crushing pressure, and I wanted to give up so badly. Because everything I was experiencing felt like too much. Like waking up in the morning felt like too much. Eating felt like too much. Showering felt like too much. And I had people that came around me and lifted me up. They didn't lift the pressure. Everything I was experiencing, I still felt fully. But they loved me and they prayed for me and they cared for me. And Jesus showed up for me. And he was like, hey, look at me. Fix your eyes on me. I know what you're experiencing right now is really freaking hard. But stay focused on me. Look at me. Fix your eyes on me. And that's the only way we can handle the pressure. Because he's not always going to lift it right away. Like I was expecting to be prayed over by people and it'd be gone like that. And it's taken me three years to be at a place where I'm experiencing full joy again. And I absolutely love my life. And there are still pressures and things that suck. And he didn't lift it right away, but I made it through. And if God lifted the pressure, we wouldn't be taking back land from the enemy. If he would have lifted it right that second, I wouldn't have been so laser focused on Jesus to get me through those days. 
I wouldn't have been so focused on Jesus if it was lifted right away. The distractions would have came right back in. And then I would have fallen. I've fallen back in the pit a couple times. But once you know to lock eyes with Jesus and withstand the pressure with him, it's way different. If God lifted the pressure, we wouldn't be taking back land from the enemy. If God lifted the pressure you experience, we'd be treating the gospel as, as some flippant thing that we're entitled to. You're not entitled to it. If God lifted the pressure, the opportunity to partner with him to bring more of heaven to earth would be few and far between. Suffering is part of the co-laboring. And he has called you to be a co-laborer, to bring more of heaven to earth. And suffering is a part of that. I think that's also the importance of the humanity of Jesus. The suffering he experienced, that shared experience. But we quickly become selfish and self-centered and self-focused, and we crack under the pressure. We lose focus of Jesus, and we crack under the pressure, and it becomes a distraction. It takes our eyes off of Jesus, and we become self-focused. And we're like, Jesus, I can't do this. Maybe not even bringing Jesus into the situation. You're like, I just can't do this anymore. Life's too hard. And we become complainers and not conquerors. Because if you're selfish and self-centered and self-focused and you crack under the pressure because God doesn't lift it when you want to, then you're giving the enemy the opportunity to keep the land that he thinks that he has because you're not walking in victory. The Bible is full of people who didn't crack under the pressure. Like I was trying to think of like an Old Testament story to use and I was like, okay, there's too many. Like I can't pick. Like, the go-tos are like Job, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Not cracking under the pressure, and you stay focused on Jesus. And that's the only way you make it through. You stand firm in him. You stand firm in the victory that he conquered death. And you withstand the pressure at all costs because he is worth it. Verse 10 again says, don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Look, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison to test you, and you will experience affliction for 10 days. Be faithful to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. That was significant to the church of Smyrna because they called themselves the crown of Asia. And so, again, here's Jesus being intentional, speaking directly to them. They knew um, the word crown here in Greek is stephanos, and it means a laurel wreath or a reward. And so if you are the winner of particularly the Olympics, you would be awarded a crown. And so it denotes public honor and recognition for finishing a task, for finishing a task well, for winning. And so the people of the church could relate to that. That's something like physical and tangible that they could be like, okay, I understand what that means. Like if I receive a crown, I'm receiving, like, I'm receiving public honor. I'm receiving recognition recognition for finishing well and that had I just imagine how comforting that was to them 
Like you are under extreme pressure and extreme persecution. Some of you are going to go to jail. But I have a reward for you. That reward is with me. I'm going to give you the crown of life. Like those crowns were made out of leaves. And so eventually they would die and fade away. And Jesus is like, no, the crown that I have waiting for you, the reward I have waiting for you is life. Eternal life with me. And nobody can take that away from you. That is your recognition that you have finished well. That is your reward for not cracking under the pressure. I think it's important to say that it's, it's okay if it feels like too much sometimes. Like the pressure that you may be experiencing or suffering it's okay if it feels like too much. Like, God doesn't have these high expectations of you for you to just hold your head high and make it through. But he doesn't want you to lose focus of him. He wants to be the one that you run to with the pressure and the suffering. He wants you to be faithful to him to the point of death. Because he has something better waiting for you. Far better than we can ever imagine. Verse 11. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will never be harmed by the second death. Church, you can withstand the pressure because of the one who conquered death for you. You are a conqueror because of Jesus. And some of the, the verses that the Lord gave me to go along with this, I'm like, oh, those feel like cliche. And I had a quick check in my heart. Because the Lord's like, my word is not cliche. <laughs> there are people who throw it around flippantly. Who don't stand firm on it and you just slap a Bible verse on something and you're fine and you keep going. That's not what he intended his word to be for us. It's our lifeline. It's our comfort. It's how we intimately know the Father. So 2 Timothy 4, 8, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which is the Lord, the righteous judge who will award me on that day. And not only to me, but all who have longed for his appearing. James 1.12. Blessed is the one who per- perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. You are blessed in your suffering and your persecution. Stay faithful to Jesus. Romans 8, 35 through 37. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for you, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as a sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him him who loves us. You are a conqueror because of Jesus. 
And so pressure and pain and suffering that you experience in this world, Jesus has already conquered all of those things for you. And you get to stand in that victory. And when you stand in that victory and stay faithful to him, you are called a conqueror. We're more than conquerors through him who loved us. We're more than, you're more than a conqueror because Jesus loves you and he gave everything for you. What an honor it is to share that title with him. What an honor it is to share that title with him. And if you're following Jesus, the pressure is unavoidable. Life can feel good. It's a, we're allowed to experience joy and have fun. Following Jesus doesn't mean you live a miserable and sad, depressing life. You're allowed to live full of joy with him. But there are pressures that you will experience in this world that are unavoidable. And it's all for him. It's not because of the things you do or you don't do. But it's because you weren't made for the kingdoms of this world. You experience pressure because lightness is coming up against darkness. And you weren't made to be here forever. You were created for eternity with your creator. And the pressure you experience and the trials you face and the affliction coming against you and the slander and the persecution, it's because we were created for heaven. And the kingdom of heaven is coming. It's been coming, but now more than ever, it's coming and it's reclaiming the kingdoms of darkness. It's taking back land. It's taking... And the enemy's scared, and he's probably putting the pressure on now more than ever. Because he knows he's already lost. But he doesn't want the people of Jesus to stand in victory. He wants you to crack under the pressure. But we get to stand on the victories, victory of Jesus, and we get to demolish the kingdoms of hell. You get to co-labor with Jesus and taking back land from the enemy. That is so amazing. Like he could do it all himself, but he chooses to partner with us and co-labor with us. And we get to help take back land and bring more of heaven to earth. But we have to stay committed to Jesus. We can't compromise. We can't crack under pressure. You stay committed to Jesus and you partner and you co-labor with him to take back land. You stand firm on the, his foundation and you take back land. I could list on and on and on the things that we easily compromise. That we might not even notice we're compromising. Things that aren't of heaven. In the world that we live in today, is so skewed and the enemy is tactic, tacti, tactical. <laughs> he has, he's smart. He knows what he's doing to distract us. Again, it's those small compromises that add up and when we, we're faced with a big one, 
It's way easier to choose what's comfortable. But we have to choose Jesus over the things of this earth, the ways of this world, so we can push back the darkness and bring more of heaven to earth. Because the victorious crown of life is yours because of Jesus. You're a conqueror because he conquered death. And you don't have to face a second death. If you read about the second death in Revelation, I'm sure we're going to get there. That is ultimate torture for eternity. And you don't have to face it when you choose Jesus because he faced it for you. He faced death for you. And if you don't know this Jesus or you feel like you've compromised for the sake of the gospel, this Jesus is worth giving up everything for. He's worth being talked poorly about by people who don't know him. He's worth living a life that looks different than what the rest of the world lives. He's worth standing up for truth, the truth of the gospel. That's the only truth worth standing up for. He's worth standing up for it. And he's worth everything that he asks us to do, no matter how hard and uncomfortable it is, because he gave everything for you. When he chose to step off of his throne in heaven, he chose you. And if you're feeling a tugging in your heart to know him, but you know that it's going to cost you something, believe me, it's the best decision you will ever make. And that tugging and the temptations and the things that he's asking you to leave behind, there are people surrounding you that will help you walk through that because he's worth it all. He's worth giving up everything for because he chose you first. Like Jason said last week, he wants to be your first love. He came and died for you because he loves you and he wants you. And he would have came just for you. He would have picked up that cross and died a painful death just for you. And I think we forget about that. We can be selfish and self-centered, but we forget that Jesus came just for us. That he would have done it just for us. Because it's kind of uncomfortable to know that somebody would have came and did that just for you. Or we don't feel worthy enough of that. But you are worthy. You are a conqueror. You are deeply loved by the Father. And the pain and the suffering that you experience in this world, we cling to the hope of heaven and we withstand the pressure. Because what is waiting for us, that crown of life, eternity with him, it is going to be the best thing ever. Like there are some days where I'm like, Jesus, I'm ready. Like I am ready for heaven and I am so excited for it. But I'll do what you asked me to do here on earth. I'll stay faithful to the point of death. I want a life that brings him honor and glory and praise. Not for me, for him. And the suffering is worth it for him. 
but our eyes have to stay fixed on him. And as I pray, I want you to close. As I pray, I want you to close your eyes. And this is a a picture that Jesus has given me over the last few years when he reminds me to lock eyes with him and fix eyes with him. And imagine he's kneeling right beside you. You're sitting on the ground and he's kneeling right beside you. And he picks up your face and he puts them in his hands. And he asks you just to look him dead in the eye. And this picture of Jesus has been the most comforting thing to me. Looking him dead in the eye. And the pain and the pressure, it's not falling away necessarily. But he's holding you and he's looking you in the eyes. And he says, I know. I know what you're experiencing. But I'm going to hold you. Just fix your eyes on me. Stay focused on me. I love you. I'm proud of you. Stay fixed on me. Stay focused on me. Stay fixed on me. Fix your eyes on me. Jesus, we thank you that you are not far from us that you know us and you love us and you pursue us, that you know the pain that we experience. Jesus, this morning, I thank you for your humanity. That you wanted to be able to have shared experiences with us and even though it was painful for you, you chose us anyways. I thank you that we can fix our eyes on you and we can make it through difficult situations. That you don't leave us. You're behind us and before us and all around us. Thank you that you are our strength and our comfort and our peace. God, and I thank you that this life following you wasn't meant to be easy. Because what an honor it is to co-labor with you to bring more of heaven to earth. To push back the kingdoms of darkness because of what we experience in our life. Thank you for that testimony, Jesus. Thank you that we are conquerors because you conquered death. Thank you that we carry all power and authority because of you, Jesus. Help us to stand firm on that foundation. Stand firm in that victory. Stand firm in you when the distractions and the lies come against us when the persecution comes against us when people talk badly about us because of the way we are choosing to live our lives fully devoted to you Jesus we thank you that you are right there with us that you are our comfort you are our peace we thank you that the powers of hell don't stand a chance against the kingdom of light Jesus, you're worth it all. You are worth it all. And even when we question that, 
Help us to be remind us, God, that you're worth it all. The pressure that we're facing is worth it because of you, Jesus. Thank you for the crown of life. Thank you for eternity with you. That if we choose you, Jesus, and we believe in you and we remain faithful to you, that that crown of life is ours. Eternity with you is ours. That we don't have to experience eternal torture. We don't have to face the second death because you conquered death. Lord, help us to lay everything at your feet today. Help us to lock eyes with you. Stay focused on you. Stay fixed on you. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.